name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Some of y'all have just returned from the Magic Kingdom. I was a young married man when I went to the Magic Kingdom for the first time, and I can, I, I, I would imagine, I was going to say I remember, but y'all know that'd be lying. I, uh, I, uh, I imagine that I remember thinking, boy, this is going to be an exciting trip to go to the Magic Kingdom. I do remember this. It was a uh, lackluster event for myself and Anne. In fact, we were talking about it just yesterday uh, about uh, how you know, long lines, we weren't smart like some of y'all with fast passes and all that kind of stuff, and it just wasn't all that great. But I do imagine that most young people, when they think about going to the Magic Kingdom, they're probably pretty excited about what all that means. I wonder this morning if we ever think about entering the future kingdom of God. That, that future realized kingdom, what's that going to be like? Do we, do we imagine that? Now remember the premise, if you happen to be our guest, the premise for the last, I don't know, six weeks, seven weeks or so of, of talks on Sunday morning, messages on Sunday morning have been about the kingdom of God. And we called this series, uh, The Kingdom of God Already But Not Yet. And the kingdom of God, we said, has come. It was inaugurated when Jesus came on the scene. The king was here. The kingdom of God had come. And uh, we're citizens presently today of the kingdom of God. And we talked about in the already kingdom of God, there are some things that are ours as part of the already kingdom of God. One of them is that that God's presence is always going to be with us, that uh, he's not going to, to leave us. Let me just remind you, in the already kingdom of God, you are loved. You are loved this morning, and you have have the peace of God in your heart already in the the already kingdom of God, and and you have the comfort of the Lord. We said also that you have the power of God in the already kingdom, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the, the, the person of God we call spirit, he dwells within us and he has given us power. Now if you were here that Sunday, I talked about how I believe that the primary power the spirit has given us is to remain faithful and to endure to the end. But I I also said that he gives us power to do miraculous things at times and to bring about his will. And even the story in which David began us this morning talking about this guy who says, i got to turn around and go back and talk to that guy. When he turns around and goes back, I mean, that's a divine appointment. That's the work of the Spirit. So the work of the Spirit is he, He's power in our lives. And then I said there was the promise, and we, there's all kinds of promises that we get in the already kingdom, but one of those was that, that uh, we have life in Him. And, and again, I want to go back to the promise that He's not going to leave me or abandon me. But we also get some other things in the already kingdom of God, things that maybe aren't so great. The already kingdom of God holds for us tribulation. Now, I'm not saying that. Jesus said that. He said, in this life, you shall have tribulation. This morning, in the early morning prayer time, we were praying for the persecuted church. I pulled up my phone, and I went to the Voice of the Martyrs, and and I read about uh, how in northern Nigeria, just this past week, a lot of Christians slaughtered for their faith. I mean, there there is in this life uh, difficulties. In the present already kingdom, uh, there is sickness, 
and there is suffering, and there is sorrow, and our loved ones die. Probably at this very moment, David and Leslie, the girls, and maybe some others in the family have gotten in the car, and they're headed to Kansas, and they're headed to Kansas where on Wednesday, they'll bury David's father who died this week. Our loved ones experience, experience anguish and, uh, and agony in this life, calamity and even catastrophe. I, I tell you what, can I tell you that it's, it's all, my own agony and my own sufferings really in my heart don't compare to the sufferings of my children. When my children are hurting, that's harder on me than when I hurt, right? Suffering can range from poverty, not enough to eat. It can, it can mean the torment of physical and mental illness and everything in between. And listen, I'm talking about those of us who are already part of the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about people far from God. I'm talking about people who are already citizens of the kingdom of God. I'm talking about us. These are things that happen to us in the already kingdom. Now again, don't forget, the promise of God is that he's going to walk with us through that tough stuff and he's going to give us grace to endure and not fall away and trust him and he's going to give us the grace to to get through all of that stuff. I, I don't believe that God has ever promised to remove those things, but I do affirm that God has promised to never leave me in those things and never, never will I have to walk through those things alone. But this morning, as we bring to an end this series on the already kingdom but not yet kingdom, I want to focus on the not yet kingdom. I want to focus on the kingdom that is to come, the kingdom that's going to bring purpose and meaning in a way that we can't even begin to imagine. I'm talking about the promise of God that one day, Sue, the sky shall unfold, preparing his entrance, because that's her song. She used to sing that song. And, and the scripture goes on to say, and with the shout of, of command and the archangel's voice, the sound of God. God's uh, trumpet, the Lord himself will come down from heaven, and those who have died believing in Christ will rise to life first. Then we who are living at that time will be gathered up along with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So then encourage one another with these words. King Jesus will return, and he will rescue us uh, from the dead, and he will resurrect All the dead, the Bible says, actually, he's going to resurrect all the dead. And and those who have been resurrected apart from faith in Christ, the Bible says that, that they shall experience the second death and God's judgment. But for those of us who have put our faith in God, what lies ahead for us is the forever kingdom of God. Those who have sought the Lord, the ever kingdom lies ahead for us. Now, Jesus taught us to pray like this. Remember this? He said, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for thy kingdom to come. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Well, there's coming a day when God's kingdom will come in its fullness. Remember, Jesus is inaugurating the kingdom. So when he says, pray, thy kingdom come, he's talking about the realized final kingdom of God. Pray for it to come. And when it comes, there will be people who will be a part of it, and there will be people who will not be a part of it. And what I want to do this, this morning is, I mean, I really want to encourage you. I, I am very expectant in today's time together because I want to share with you what is our hope. 
And, and my, my joy is going to be to share this, and my hope is going to be that when we leave here this morning, man, our hearts will just be bubbling over, seriously, with joy uh, and expectancy of what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, as I begin, though, I want to just say something up front. When we talk about the future and we talk about what God's going to do in the future, when we get down here to the end, and let's pretend this is the end and we're at the end, people see how this is going to go down in a lot of different ways. When they read their Bibles, they see it's going to go down in different ways. But So I'm going to, I'm going to walk through the muddy stuff that everybody kind of disagrees on, and I'm going to get to this point right here where everyone agrees. Everybody with me? And what I'm going to be talking to you about is this point here. I'm going to skip over the muddy stuff. So if, I say, so if I say something that seems not to fit in this little muddy part, I'm talking about that part over there, okay? Because I want you to all be with me, and, and I want you to all be encouraged, because whatever happens in the, in, the, in the actual muddy stuff of the actual return of Christ, on the other side of that lies the things that I'm going to share with you. And, and I'm just so hoping you're going to be encouraged by these things because I have been so encouraged as I've prepared. So here we go. And I, you know, I could have spoken for hours and hours literally on this. I, I chose seven things. My wife will be upset with me. I chose seven because I couldn't narrow it down. I really couldn't get it to less than seven things. You remember seven is the number of perfection, right? This is going to be a perfect talk this morning, all right? This is going to be a perfect talk, and, uh, and uh, as much as I've tried to shorten things, this won't be any shorter than normal, all right? But we will leave by 12 today, all right? So here we go. Here's the, here's the number one thing. In the realized kingdom of God, things will be new, and things will be different, in Revelation 21.1, John the Apostle, he's, he's getting to the end of his book, which is the last book in our Bibles. And in that chapter 21, John says that he sees a new heaven and a new earth. He's speaking of, of something new. If we go to the Old Testament, to Isaiah, the greatest prophetic book in the Old Testament, 65 and 66, the last two chapters of that great work, Isaiah speaking about God's future promise. He says, God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And second Peter, Peter says, the present earth will be destroyed by fire. But based, here's the quote, 313, but based on his promise, we wait for a new New heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now, Christ followers have, we've pondered these statements about the new heavens and the new earth and, and tried to figure out what does God mean exactly. And we've come to really two different conclusions. Some believe that God's going to wrap up the entire universe as we know and create a brand new universe. Others have said God's going to destroy this world if you would, as in the people and, 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 and things as we know it, and he's going to rejuvenate, he's going to recreate the universe, or not recreate it as in brand new, but he's going to revamp it. He's going to put a new alternator in it, so to speak, right? He's going to, he's going to fix this one. Now, I think Peter may give us a hint. This will probably tell you where I fall. But I think Peter may give us a hint because in that same book, chapter 2 Peter 3, 5, here's what Peter says. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought forth from water and through water. Through these, the world of that time 
perished when it was flooded. But the same word, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So, so Peter seems to imply that in the same way that God destroyed the world in Noah's day by, by a flood, God's going to destroy it later by fire. And if you remember, God didn't wrap up the whole universe and create a new one. He basically destroyed the world as it was and started fresh. And I tend to fall there, but it doesn't matter. My point is this. The point is, I want you to get it. God is saying that with the realized kingdom of God, God's going to renew the heavens and the earth. But it's not just the cosmos, everyone. It's not just the physical earth and, and universe that he's going to make new, but he says in Revelation 21.5, he says, then the one seated on the throne, this is John listening to God, look, I am making everything new. So when Jesus comes, and again, I don't think Jesus means that there's not going to be a lot of the same similarities that our world has known, but everything is going to be made new in some way. And as I thought about this this week, do you remember when Jesus was inaugurating the new covenant, the covenant in his blood, the covenant in his death, how he, he said he's making this new covenant? And you remember they were, they were trying to understand, and he gave this little story, and he said, no one puts a new piece of cloth on an old garment, sews up the hole with new cloth. Why? Because if you wash it, when the, when the new cloth shrinks, it'll just rip the hole greater in that piece of cloth. And then he says, in the same way, nobody puts new wine in an old wineskin because new wine, as it ferment, ferments, it expands. And if you've got wineskins that have already expanded, you're just going to bust the leather and that'll be the end of the wineskin. So he says, you put new wine in new wineskins. And his point was that the new covenant is not just like, I'm going to stick it in the old stuff. It's all new. It's, it's all going to be different. And there is. The new covenant is very different than the old covenant. And, and in the same way, I think Jesus is trying to tell us, God is trying to tell us that when the, when the new realized kingdom comes, it's going to be new. And we're going to recognize that it's different than, than we know now. In the, in the book of Romans, in your Bible, in the New Testament, Paul's writing to the church of Rome. This is probably his greatest, his greatest treatise. But in chapter 8, this is what he says. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the real, I mean the kingdom now already, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed to us when Jesus comes. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to the decay in the, into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains even until now. Now here, here's what, in, in a nutshell, here's what Paul says. He says, you know, at the beginning of the creation, the whole world was cursed. The whole world groans under what God put it under because of man's sin. And it's waiting for a day when it's going to be released of that. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but, but here's what I'd suggest it looks like. You know how our world has so many, well, we, we, would, we would not call these moral evils, we would just call these natural evils. 
You know, like when tornadoes come through and rip up and kill, or hurricanes come through and drown thousands of people. You know, the world is going to be set free from all of that. And however the world is going to operate in the new kingdom, it will not bring about death in that way. And it's groaning and waiting, but at the, at the revelation of God's kids, at the coming of Jesus, all that is made new, and all of that changes. In this, in, in this uh, life we are cursed, but in Revelation 22, God says there will no longer be any curse. It says that twice in the book of Revelation. There will no longer be any curse. Let me see if I can help us with this. Imagine, imagine you're in Europe during World War II, and the Nazis have invaded your country, and you have lived under their tyranny, and you've lived under their curse and their, their stealing of your freedoms and their killing of people, and you get wind that, that the allies are near. Can you imagine the hope that that begins to stir up in you? And then imagine the allies coming in and removing the curse of the Nazis from your land and all that that brought on your country. I want you to, I want you to picture with your imagination that this is, I believe, what Jesus is trying to say to us, that the curse of sin and the curse of all that we have to go through in this life is going to be lifted, and it's going to be new. And if you can imagine how... The Europeans felt at the, at the thought of that curse being lifted, that Nazi curse being lifted. Imagine the curse of sin being lifted and being gone. Here's the second thing. In the realized kingdom, we will be united with all our loved ones who have walked in faith in restored, improved, and resurrected lives. The dead in Christ, the Bible says, they're going to rise first in resurrected lives. And then Paul tells the Thessalonican church, he says, if you happen to be living at that time, you'll be changed. But listen, you're not preceding the people who've already died. They're going to be resurrected first. That's the first event. To the church at Corinth, he tells them, listen, this mortal body that is decaying, I mean, it is falling apart. It is dying. But in the resurrection, you're body will not be decaying. You, you will not be decaying. You, you will have a resurrected, immortal, non-decaying body. Now, I'm 60 years old. I'm not nearly as old as Earl, but I think I'm falling apart worse than Earl. I'm decaying on a really rapid rate. I can feel it, you know. In fact, Jill was talking about Ray and his decay and how he gets up in the morning and creaks and croaks and, <laughs> and takes him forever to get out of bed. I can relate to that, Ray. I can relate to that, okay? I'm decaying. I'm not even maintaining. Two elderly ladies were uh, been friends for decades, and over the years they shared all kinds of activities and adventures, but lately all they could do was play cards together. And one day they were playing cards, and one of them looked at the other one and said, don't get mad at me now. I know we've been friends for a long, long time, but I just can't remember your name. I've thought and I've thought, but I can't recall it. Please tell me what your name is. And her friend just glared at her for about a minute, and finally she said, how soon do you need to know? <laughs> In the resurrection, listen, I'm pretty sure that our bodies and minds, I know, they will work right with no more decay. We will see each other. And we will know each other, and we will know each other's name. Nothing, nothing, and I'm going to cry, but nothing warms my heart more than this, to know that we will see our loved ones again. In just a few days, will be the second anniversary of my father's death. 
And I'm going to get to see my daddy again and my grandparents. I'm going to get to see them because they walked in faith. My Uncle Donnie that, you know, he died while we were on the mission field. I knew him as a child, a little child. I'll get to see him again. I'm going to get to see my shepherd again. We're going to get to see all the saints of old that have gone on before us. And we're going to get to see our close friends that have left us. And we're going to get to meet Paul and Peter and a myriad of other followers of Jesus throughout history that we've read about and heard about who impacted the world greatly for Jesus. We're going to get to meet them. And the future kingdom of God, listen, listen, the future kingdom of God is a physical kingdom in a physically renewed world. It is not a world of disembodied spirits. We are going to be physical. Now, what happens in the intermediate state? The intermediate state is that state between when my father died and when he'll be resurrected. That's called the intermediate state. What happens in the intermediate state? We, you know, there's a lot of question about that, but, but here's what happens on the other side of the intermediate state, we all become physical beings again with physical bodies, and, and we will live again even as we live now. God has created us physical. He'll resurrect us physical. Let me move on. Number three, in the realized kingdom, God himself will dwell with us personally and physically. Now you say, well, Jimmy, why are you dwelling on the physically? Because I, I want you to dwell there too. I want you to reclaim the, the understanding that, that God is recreating us in the resurrection physical beings. And in this physical realized kingdom, God himself will be here physically. Listen, this is Revelation 21. Then I, verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Did you catch that? I mean, it was kind of repeated. I think it's the main point of the paragraph. God's going to dwell with us in our humanity. We're always so focused about going there. God's focus isn't about us going there. We may go there. We will go there. His focus is on how he's coming here. That's his focus. He's coming here to live with us. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But the kingdom of God, Jesus will one day rule over us in his humanity. And he's never, listen, he's never, ever, ever relinquishing his humanity. I, I didn't know this till not, not too long ago, that orthodoxy within the, within the church for the, the last two millennia has been just that, that Jesus doesn't relinquish his humanity in which he was in incarnated with. In other words, when he became like me and took on my flesh and he became a person like every one of us, he's never relinquishing it. He's never giving it up. He's always going to have that humanity forever. And you know, when I think about the early disciples and I kind of, you know, daydream about what it might have been like to be them. I don't know if you think this or not, but when I kind of daydream of what it might have been like to have been Peter or Paul or, or one of the men that got to walk with Jesus all the time, the one thing I get to th I think about is that, man, did he play football with them? 
And I don't mean American football, I meant soccer. But did he, uh, <laughs> did, did he, I mean, did he wrestle with him? I mean, they got to touch him and they got to see him and they got to look in his eye, eyeball to eyeball. Here's what John would write in his first letter. John the Apostle, the, the disciple whom he says Jesus loved. And I've told you this before. I don't think John meant he loved me, didn't love anybody else. He just, Jesus loved me and I knew it. But he said, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and in touch with our hands concerning the word of life, that's what we share with you. And that'll be our pleasure too, everyone. We're going to get to see Jesus face. By the way, the pictures that I'm using for each of my points, I tried to find the most beautiful pictures of the world I could find because I think that beauty speaks of the, the beauty of the of the renewed earth, right? I forgot to tell you all that at the beginning. Pretty cool. Looked hard for those pictures. Uh, that, that's gonna be, but this is going to be our pleasure too. One day we're going to be like John and we're going to be able to say we touched and we saw and we felt because we're, we're going to get that. In chapter 22, verse 3, there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will worship him and they will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. They will see his face. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. These eyes, if not these eyes, my eyes, will one day see my Redeemer face to face. My eyes will look on Jesus like I get to look on you. In the new kingdom, I will stand before my Creator and he will look like me, yet he'll be my creator. Number four, in the realized kingdom, sin and the sorrowful effects of sin will be gone. Boy, this is on a courage. 21.4, he will wipe away, Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. In the realized kingdom, crying, grief, pain, they're gone. No more sorrow. Isaiah the prophet, centuries, centuries before this, wrote chapter 25, verse 7. On this mountain, he, God, will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 65, towards the end of his prophecy, he wrote, For I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be no longer heard in her in the kingdom of God that's coming. No more sorrow, no more grief. They're eradicated. In the kingdom already, there is still suffering. Listen to the psalmist. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Now, if there's a reason why there won't be any more sorrow one day, it's because there won't, no, won't be more sin. I mean, there won't be any more crying or weeping. It's because there won't be any more sin. Chapter 21, verse 7, the one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
But the cowards and the faithless and detestables and murderers, sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their share shall be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. How it happens that our nature is changed, I'm not really sure. But I know the Bible promises that my nature will be changed and there will be no sin in his coming kingdom. And with there not being any sin in his coming kingdom, there will only be righteousness and joy and peace and no more crying and suffering and sorrow. In the, in the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, in chapter 15, he's talking about the end of all things. And listen to what he says. He says this verse 23 of chapter 15, Christ, the first fruits of resurrection, afterward, the first fruit afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ will be resurrected. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death, for God has put everything under his feet. Now when he says everything, he's put uh, he put now when he says everything is put under him, it is obviously obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. Again, I know it's a little bit convoluted, but here's what Paul is saying. Everything, everything comes under Christ. And when it does, Christ gives everything to God. And there is no more sin and no more sorrow. Number five, the realized kingdom, in the realized kingdom, life will be restored to the intention of the Garden of Eden. This is the flip side of what I just said, so I'm not going to belabor it, but here's what God's saying. There'll be no more sorrow and no more sin, but in the new kingdom, everything's going to be made right. God's going to restore it to what he wanted in the Garden of Eden. We're going to be co-rulers with Christ in creation. We're going to exercise dominion over all the earth. We, we, will, we will work the ground and enjoy the fruits of our labor. That will happen again. That's what God intended in the, in the Garden of Eden, and that's what will happen again in the kingdom of God. This life of purpose and meaning and joy will be restored. In Isaiah 65, let's go back there. In Isaiah 65, Isaiah talking about the new heaven and the new earth. This is how he describes it. He says, people will build houses and live in them, and they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit, and they will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like a lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. Here's what, here's what Isaiah is trying to say. The curse is going to be lifted. And all that comes instead will be the joy of, of paradise that God desired from the beginning until our sin broke. We will work and the joy of work will be restored. Furthermore, furthermore, we'll, and here's what Isaiah says, we'll enjoy the fruit of our labors. There'll be no more thieves to steal the fruit of our labors. In the fulfilled king, kingdom, God has intended for the paradise of Genesis 1 to be the truth of the future in Revelation 21 and 22. In the future, listen, and I know this is where unbelievers will say, this is pie in the sky. By the way, I looked up that idiom. I still don't really get it. It comes from somebody making fun of a song. 
But it, it means that, we, that people believe, hey, you're just hoping in something that's not going to come about in the future. But I tell you what, here's my hope. In the future of the world, the kingdom of God will be a utopia. It's going to be a utopia, and paradise will be restored. restored excuse me, restored. Number six. Two more. I'm almost done. Hang with me. In the realized kingdom, and you might say, well, Jimmy, why are you pulling this out? I've got to pull this out because this is the wages of sin. In the realized kingdom, death will be no more. In the future kingdom of God, people will not die. People will be made immortal, and we will be given eternal life. Paul preached that immortality was the gift of God that came to us through Christ. So he told Timothy, he said, this, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, this, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that same passage I was just quoting, at the very end of it, he says this, when this corruptible body, when this body that's falling apart is clothed with incorruptibility, and by the way, this mind that's falling apart is clothed with incorruptibility, and this, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, death is going to be, death is going to die. <laughs> in Revelation 21.4, death will be no more. Revelation 20, God says, everyone will be raised in the resurrection. In verse 13, he says, when, when the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, each one was judged according to their works. The dead who are buried at sea, the dead who are buried in the ground, each of them is going to be judged according to their works. And then it says, or be judged by God, excuse me. Judged by God. Then verse 14 says, death and Hades, death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Everyone who's not faithful to God will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is, according to the scripture, the second death. But notice that death and Hades... Two inanimate things are thrown into the lake of fire. What is that saying? It's symbolic of destruction. They will be destroyed. Death will be no more. Revelation 22, 1 through 3, John describes the fulfillment of the kingdom in this way. Then he showed me the river of water of life. I'm reading chapter 22, verse 1. Then he, that is the angel, showed John, showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. And the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. You know what that's telling us? It's telling us that the river of life is flowing from God in the new kingdom, and it's, and it's symbolic of the fact that God is going to give us life, and we will never die. The tree of life on both sides of the river, what is that symbolic of? You know the tree of life? You remember back in Genesis chapter 1? Jesus, God says to Adam and Eve, you sin, you're going to die. When they sinned, he removed the tree of life. We don't see the tree of life till Revelation 21 and 22. 
And the tree of life comes back because the tree of life is symbolic of the life that God's going to give us that is immortal and never dies. The wages of sin is death. We all die. But the resurrection is how God is going to keep his promise. But the free gift of God is eternal life. You will live again. And listen, you will never die. Man, I don't know if that excites you. You seem kind of bored. I must not be communicating very well. I mean, I know I'm going to die. I think about I'm 60 now. I think about it. I think about it. Who said yep? <laughs> Sue's a little older than me. She thinks about it more. Now, I doubt it. Or maybe so, because Doug just died, right? But, but we're going to die. Nobody escapes it, right? But the promise of God is that he will raise me from that casket. He will raise me from that ground. He will give me my life back. And I'll be able to touch my children. I'm assuming we'll still kiss and hug in heaven. Of course, Michael probably doesn't want to go to heaven if there's no hug in there, right, Michael? (laughs) That was funny. (laughs) If you know Michael, that was funny. Seriously, No more death. No more dying. No more need of Dr. Eich anymore. Sorry, David, you have to find another profession. (laughs) Finally, in the realized kingdom, Jesus will rule the kingdom. Literally, what I mean is that the king is that the government of the world, Jesus is going to rule us. And we will willingly submit to him. Now, I don't think this means, I mean, if if we read 21 and 22 of Revelation and, and Isaiah. You know, obviously, there, there is, Jesus will m- mediate his government through others as well, but Jesus will sit and rule over his kingdom. Isaiah predicted it centuries before. In Isaiah chapter 9, when he talked about a child will be born to us, we sing, talk about it every Christmas, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Eternal Father, the Prince of of peace. His dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. And he will reign over the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. The government will one day be on Jesus' shoulders and he will rule over us. Revelation 22, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord will will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And they will reign forever and ever. When Jesus reigns, fair and equitable trade between all parts of his kingdom, no more bribery or thievery, no more despots robbing the poor, no more poverty, everyone having enough and everyone being content, no more sex trafficking, no more slavery. When the realized kingdom of of God comes and the return of Jesus comes, the Prince of Peace will appear and he will reign over us forever in peace. I want to end with this little story. Uh, It's a true story, actually. The English ship, the Bounty, commanded by Lieutenant William Bly, was journeying into the South Pacific in 1787, and many signed on, considering the voyage a a trip to paradise, and uh, Blight uh, appointed a young friend, Fletcher Christian, to the post of second in command. 
the bounty stayed in Tahiti for six months, and uh, and it was you know led by Fletcher Christian as far as enjoying the the I guess the pleasures of sin for a season in Tahiti. And, but on April 28, 1789, Fletcher Christian staged the most uh, famous mutiny in, in history. And uh, he and some of the people mutineered, or mutinied, I'm not sure how you'd say that, Bly and his supporters put them adrift in a, in a rowboat, and they, uh, they took over his ship. The, the mutineers uh, aboard the bounty immediately began quarreling over what to do. Christian returned to Tahiti where he left some of the mutineers. He kidnapped women, some women and slaves, and he traveled with the remaining crew to an uncharted island called the Pitcairn or Pitcairn Island. And, uh, and so there they stopped. They, uh, I think they ended up burning the boat, whether it was an accident or on purpose. They burned the boat so there'd be, you know, so either nobody would find them or there'd be no escaping. And really, the, the Christian community, tur- I mean, the, the community turned, in t- turned upon itself um, basically almost destroying itself with drunkenness, disease, and murder. And in fact, all the men were eventually killed or died, except for a fellow by the name of John Adams. And, uh, and this guy found, um, found a Bible amongst the stuff off the, off the bounty. And so he began to read it. And, uh, and of course, as he began to read it, he eventually trusted Christ. And then an amazing thing happened. Smith leading uh, this group with this, this neglected Bible that they found, he began to instruct the community, and the whole community changed. He taught the colonists and, uh, and the Polynesians who were on the island, the scriptures, helped them obey what the Bible was saying. The message of Christ so transformed their lives that in 1808, when the ship, the Topaz, landed on the island, it found a Christian community living in prosperity and peace, free of crime, disease, murder, and of course, future mutiny. Jesus transforms individuals in the, in the already kingdom. I mean, some of us here are testimonies to tremendous transformation in our lives. Some of us are tremendous testimonies to the power and grace of God to never, he, he saves us from children and we walk with him our entire lives, right? That's a great testimony, Either way, in the present kingdom, Jesus changes us, and, and, he, and he makes us like himself, okay? But in the present kingdom, there's still sin, and there's still suffering, and you know this island that was transformed in 2004? Six men on the island were arrested and tried and found guilty of uh, 33 sexual offenses dating back 40 years, in other words, the Christian community at some point fell apart here in the future. And, and one of the guys, one of the main guys who was uh, convicted, he was a descendant of, of Steve Christian, the, of Fletcher Christian, of Fletcher Christian, the guy who was the, the main instigator in the whole mutiny. My, my point in telling you that is this, that in the kingdom already, we, we don't have the finality of the promise that's coming on the other side over there. But in the kingdom to come, in the kingdom to come, but not yet, when it comes, nothing will ever take us back. And Jesus will always reign over us. Father, thank you for, um, thank you for <laughs> these talks. Father, they have so encouraged me in my preparation, especially this one, Lord, as I, I think of all that is promised 
and, um, and all that we have to hope for in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of the kingdom of God. Thank you for the, I mean, all that you have in store for us. You know, as the Apostle Paul, I think, I can't remember if it was the Thessalon- Thessalonican church or Titus, you know, he, he, and he said something to this effect, Lord, may the promise and the hope of all that is to come, may it affect our lives powerfully today in the already kingdoms. Father, may that be true for all of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.